Well, I greet you in Christ's name this, this morning. It's been a blessing again to be here. It, uh, my heart truly resonated with what uh, Brother Kristen shared. Um, how many times are we discouraged and we sink beside the way? Certainly, uh, I think it's, it, is, uh, it is a wonderful privilege to, um, I had to think of, I had to think of, um, when it was Brother Chris preached, I think it was two weeks ago, on the dangers of hypocrisy, and then last week, uh, Brother Philip preached out of Psalm 32, and how um, we are to seek the Lord while he may be found. And, you know, while we have, while we do not confess our sins, uh, as he goes on there in uh, Psalm 32, his, our bones are crying out. If you remember that message, read it if you haven't heard that message. Um, I just hope and pray that we can be a congregation that we can live our lives in honesty. And that you can kind of hang it out here when it's not uh, everything you want it to be. Um, Because truly, um, this morning on the way, I asked myself, if I'm prepared to preach, and I, I, I knew that it wasn't true. <laughs> but then I asked myself, well, are you prepared to worship? And I knew that I was. So the question is, we should always, as we consider whether we are prepared to preach or not, whether we are prepared to worship. And uh, I challenged myself with that question Am I prepared to worship? Because if I'm not prepared to worship, then I'm not prepared to preach. Um, but just because I'm not prepared to preach, uh, I think one, one can be true and the other, um, the Lord will, will uh, meet the need of the hour. Um, if you would, open your Bible uh, to John chapter 8. As we go back to the Gospel of John, and this morning, um, we have a very familiar passage um, to look at. I want to go back to that hymn that we just sang here a minute before I came up here. And the opening line of, of No Other Plea, the hymn of in verse three in uh, page three ninety, says this way My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. Uh, that really stuck struck me. It stood out, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever living one, his wounds for me shall plead. Let's read here in John chapter 8, 
I want to try to get the context. We'll be spending our time in the t- in uh, verses thirty-one through thirty-six, but I want to get the context a bit. Let's 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 start in verse twenty-one. I have a bit of a lengthy read here. Hear God's word. John 8 and verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said to him, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I, say, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please Him. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. Then Jesus said to those who believed Him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but his son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not 
of God. Well, what a what an amazing passage, what a boldness that Christ had in declaring to them these truths. And uh, in considering this passage, you know, how many of us, when we examine ourselves, as the Scripture says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, 2 Corinthians says. And um, if we would go up and down the roads today, here in these pews, many of us would profess to be disciples of Christ. We would say, yes, we are. We are disciples of Christ. Um, Here in verse 30, it says, As he spoke these words, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now, our text begins with Jesus' response to that. That's where our text begins. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Uh, and the question I think we might ask, and well, let me, let me go back here. There are other passages very similar to this in the Gospel of John. In uh, John seven thirty one, it says this way, And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? That's in John 7.31. In John 10.42, it says this way. John 10.42, And many believed in him there. In John 11.45, it says this way. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen the things Jesus did. This is following the uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead. Many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Now, the the challenge of John chapter 8 and the the text that we have in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, as we endeavor to wrap our minds around the opposition that the Jews were bringing to Christ, that's... That's all the way through John 7 and 8. It's just full of opposition to the words of Christ, to the teaching of Christ, to the person of Christ. But in verse 30, it says, As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Well, let me ask this question. Was this genuine faith? I think we've all grappled with this passage. Is, was this genuine faith in the part of these listeners. The Bible says that many believed in him. As he spoke these words, many believed, or maybe, you know, it doesn't say that they professed. But to ask this question, was this genuine faith? If you consider the continuing opposition following this text, I think it's a valid question. Notice what he says in verse 33. These very people whom he addressed, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anybody. (laughs) Was that true? No, that is an absolute blatant distortion of facts. 
is completely devoid of the facts. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Well, I think Abraham's descendants were in bondage in Egypt, were they not? I mean, they were, they were in bondage to the Persians. What was it, 70 years that they were carried off over to the, the Chaldeans? I mean, they were in bondage to Rome presently. They were currently in bondage to the Romans. But they say, how can you say you will be made free? So you have this, just, this, this opposition to the words of Christ. And then in 41, you have it here. When Jesus said, you do the deeds of your father, then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And these Jews obviously knew of the, of the story of the um, birth of Christ. He was, he was born, uh, he was conceived you know, outside of marriage. And I, I believe this is a reference to, you know, well, we weren't born of fornication. What a, what a grievous thing. What a, what a terrible thing to say. And then in verse 48, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? Do you not say rightly that you don't even belong in the chosen people of God? You're not even an Israelite. You're, a, you know, you're, a, you're outside of the bonds, outside of the boundary of God's people. You're a Samaritan. You don't even belong with us. Don't we say rightly that you are that? And on top of that, that you're demonic? And then in verse 48, he says, they say to him, uh, that, that was verse 40, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. In verse 52, you have it again where they, the Jews said, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets and you say, if anyone keeps my word, you shall never taste death. You have it also in 59 where the opposition became physical and it was no longer just st- Words, but it became sticks and stones, you see. Verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So we don't know for sure if, this, if these very people that the Bible says believed in him, if they were the ones who were physically picking up stones, it seems like they're one and the same. But at the same time, I, I want to also say that surely, surely some people did believe in Christ. Surely there were a number of them. But just like here, just like anywhere where the gospel is preached, just like anywhere where the sound, where the, where the words of God are declared, there are those who hear and believe and then there are those who reject. I, I must think that this is the same, this is the same truth here. That in the, in the declaration of the truth of God, there are those who hear and there are those who um, reject. And, the, and of those who hear and believe, even of those who ultimately reject, there are those in that number who would profess to believe. There are those who just say, yes, I believe what you have just pronounced. I hear that. 
And I receive it intellectually, possibly. So that is the setting of our text. Where the words of Christ were declared. And it says that some believed. Now let's see what Jesus said to them. The question... I believe of was this genuine faith or not is validated by Jesus' subsequent teaching on it. That there is a measurement whereby we know whether this is genuine faith or not. There is an objective way to measure this declaration, this profession. Notice what Jesus says to those Jews who believed him. If... He starts with that, if. Perchance you abide in my word. By chance or perchance or if, if you actually will follow out, if you will walk out your profession by an allegiance to my teaching, by an embrace of my word, by a following and by an application of my truth, you are my disciples indeed then. Indeed, that is the measurement, he says. To those Jews who believed in him, he said, and here is the progression. Truly, there has to be, I believe, a profession. That, that declaration, yes, I believe. But there must be progress in that, you see. There's more than just that. There's more than just saying. Jesus said, there's doing involved. There is that which professes and is not true. And then there is that which professes and is indeed true. And so we don't necessarily have to say that everybody, every Jew following after this passage was actually not believing. We can say, well, surely there may have been some who believed and genuinely believed and embraced his teaching, while many in their midst would ultimately bend down for rocks. Truly, I think we should be fair with, that, with this passage to say that we don't condemn all here as saying that truly there was no genuine faith. That's not what the passage says. But certainly there are some who did not um, who did not demonstrate genuine faith. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now notice as, as we read further in the, in the context, it says um, in verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So there is that demonstration of not abiding in his word. His word found no resting place in them. It did not resonate with them. There was no place that his word, his truth, had no place in their heart. It had no... It, truly, if, if we profess faith, then his Word should have the uppermost place in our heart. It should have the 
It, has, it should have the most preeminent place in our heart. But in verse 37, the accusation to them is that my word has no place in your heart, has no place in your life. And so that is why you seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. And we'll, Lord willing, consider that at a later date. But here in our text, they professed and Jesus said, if you abide in my word. That word abide is like you were living there. This is, this is your address. That you are here at this place. That you are abiding in his word. Now, that is what we should be asking ourselves as we examine ourselves. How is my relationship to the teachings of Christ? What is my attitude toward the teachings of Christ, toward the Word of Christ? If you abide, if you continue here, if you live here, you are my disciples indeed. You are my learners. You are being taught of me indeed. Verse 32 is this glorious promise, and he says, And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. This verse clearly indicates that if you do not know the truth, then you are not free. If you are embracing a fallacy, if you are, well, what does the song say? If you're trusting in device or creed, if there's a creed that you're trusting in, if there's a device of man that you're trusting in, that will not make you free. It will not make you free. But he, the Lord Jesus himself here, says that His Word, He aligns His Word with the truth. It says, if you abide in My Word, if you abide in My truth, if you abide in My Word, you shall know the reality. And who of us has not pursued an understanding of reality? I mean, whether it's whether or not we are in the faith. That is the ultimate reality, isn't it? To, for us to know whether we are in the faith or not. This verse says, if you abide in my word, you shall know the truth about that. You shall come to an understanding of your situation and how it stands with God. You shall know that truth. And if you know that truth, that truth, dear people, will make you free. It will set you free. And it, not only that, it sets you free from device or creed. You don't have to pursue these other fallacies, you see, if you know the truth. But that truth is contained in the Word. It's defined. That truth is defined. And you shall know the truth, and that truth shall make you free. And let me ask you, have you ever dealt with 
Have you ever personally dealt with the fact that you were born enslaved? If you are unwilling, as these Jews were, to recognize their enslavement, then you are still enslaved. You are still in bondage. If, if you have never dealt with the truth that you are not free, that you are born in bondage, then you have not embraced the Christ. Notice what he says here in relation to those Jews who believed him. In verse 24 of of the context, and we looked at this last time, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, that is the nature of your belief, is who is Jesus Christ? What is he to me? What has God made him to be to me? All of these things about who Christ is and what his ministry and mission was, if, you don't, if we do not believe in that, you see. And, and this is the heart and soul of the Gospel of John, is to deal with the person and work of Jesus Christ. All of your other trappings of religion ultimately have to revolve around this. If, if our, for instance, the way we do, let's just say the way we do Sunday morning worship, it is found in this truth and about who Jesus Christ is. Everything about understanding Christ and who, what His ministry is reflects on how we live our lives, how we do church, how we relate to one another, how we live our lives, how we deal with our day-to-day life. You see, believing in the person and work of Christ will affect how you walk. That's what Jesus said. If you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and that truth will make you free. I think many of us here know what it is like to be ultimately delivered from our sin. To know what it is like to be freed from enslavement to sin. They said in verse 33, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Are you trusting, maybe not in Abraham's descendants, but maybe your father is a well-known evangelist. Maybe, maybe there's somebody in your family and your family is looked up to as somebody who loves the Lord. You see, we say these things about, we have this saying that God has no grandchildren. But here this passage is teaching it. That you cannot come to God on the coattails of your family. You cannot come to God and say, God, Abraham was my father. You've got to let me in. No. No way. You see, 
they told him, we are Abraham's descendants. Like, we are really somebody. And you know, they were somebody because they were a chosen people. God had chosen Abraham. He had called him out of his father's house, you see. And Abraham followed God. Notice what he says, what the Lord tells them in verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. Abraham's descendants were endeavoring to kill the Son of God. That's what they had in their heart to do. I told you the truth which I heard from God, Jesus says. Abraham, when he heard the truth from God, what did he do? He believed it. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. He put faith in it. When he heard the truth come from God, that's what he did. And he says, you do the deeds of your father, the one who has no truth in him, the one who is a murderer from the beginning, the one who distorts the truth of God. Isn't that what he did in the garden? Has God really said? You see, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We have got to get done with lauding ourselves. We have got to get done with the fact that well, we have this benefit from whatever heritage we come from. No, you are enslaved. That's, that's, that's where you come from. You were a slave. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily. Most assuredly. You know, he, he, he brings this emphasis in. Most assuredly I say to you that whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now let's let that hit home. What are we talking about? Evaluating our profession? If we evaluate our profession and we find habitual sin, according to this, pa- according to this passage, we cannot claim to be disciples of Christ. We should very seriously consider this the remaining sin in our lives. Is it indicative of an unregenerate heart? Or is it just what it is, remaining sin? Is it sin that we're still, that's still clinging to us like the dirt of our, that, that we get on us when we walk outside? When we walk in this world and we walk in this culture, we become dirty. Or is it indicative of us being in bondage to it? Are we a slave to sin? Jesus said to them, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You know, that is a, that is a very, very thoughtful, 
thought-provoking passage. That's a very, very amazing statement that we, as we evaluate and look at ourselves. You see, committing sin habitually and abiding in His Word, those, those, are, those are two irreconcilable uh, differences. Th- those two cannot cohabit. One is a pursuit of the truth and a pursuit to see it happening in my life. The other is a disregard for the truth that says, no, I am I'm following another master. And that master here is, is sin. Let me ask you, do you have habitual sin in your life? Do we have sin that we commit? We live in it. You see, I, I think this word we have to, I think we, we need to use this word in the same way as abide. In verse 31, if you abide in my word, if you live here, if you abide in his word, or if you commit sin, you see, do you live here in this sin? Do you embrace sin? Is there no check in your conscience, in your heart when you commit this sin? Dear people, if there's no check, if there's no anguish of heart, you know, I have to think of, of, what, of what Peter ta- tells about Lot. He vexed his righteous soul from day to day by being around those ungodly, uh, the ungodly culture and environment of Sodom. But you see, the fact that it vexed his soul showed, if, showed its righteous state, you see. That vexation. Oh, it can't be you're doing this. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. That, that, you know, he, the vexation of his heart proved that he, he agreed with God. He agreed with the truth of God's word that this is wrong. And, and brothers and sisters, don't we see that happening in our lives? We look at our culture and it vexes us. We're troubled that we live in this time. Of, of great depravity and, and, and sin. And not only that, but that, it's, that it creeps in and has, has toeholds in our lives and in our families. It should vex us. But if it doesn't vex us, if we're, if we're willing to indulge in it ourselves, we cannot claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Because He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And so he's telling them. And of course, when he says, you shall be made free, they immediately thought, well, you're talking about some other bondage. But he is telling them that you are a slave of sin. He's, re- he's referring to Following the truth, following His Word, is a, it, it, it frees us from sin. Praise God that we have an answer for our sin. Do you, are you vexed by the sin of your own life? 
Well, the truth is, if you follow Christ and you've embraced his word, you will be made free from that. You will be made free from the dominion of sin in your life. And he says in verse 35 that a slave does not abide in the house forever, but his son abides forever. Don't you think that the Lord was referring back to, um, back to uh, Ishmael, maybe, where Sarah said, cast this son of the bondwoman out. He shall not be heir with your son, with the son of the free. Or maybe he's referring to maybe he's referring to um, to Eliezer. Remember, Eliezer was Abraham's Abram's servant, and Abraham finally just said, "Let me let me just turn back to that Genesis fifteen and, and verse beginning in verse one, Genesis fifteen." Genesis 15 and verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. You know, it was like Abram said to the Lord, he says, Really, I don't, I don't want anything but a son. Just the most, you you can't give me anything except a son, seeing I go childless. What good does all your blessing do to me? I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Or, as the center column says, for that uh, one born in my house. Let me see, I didn't write it down. Or a servant. Yes. A servant born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir. He shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look, now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it for him, it to him for righteousness. You know, if, if, if someone is a slave, he doesn't get to, to control his destiny. He's, he's a slave. Um, Hagar, she was a slave of, she was Sarah's maid, and she didn't get to, you know, Sarah suggested that Abraham go into my maid and maybe she'll bear a son for me. Well, she didn't have anything to say to it, did she? 
And so when her son came up to, it seems like somewhere around 17 years old, and Isaac was two or three years old, that uh, they had a ceremony, I, I believe they had a ceremony where they celebrated his weaning. And uh, Sarah seen that uh, Ishmael was mocking him, literally ridiculing or laughing at Isaac. And it perturbed her. And she said, cast this one out. Cast him out. And this is synonymous with, with, with the two covenants, if you read Galatians 4, where if you are laboring by the flesh to have a blessing, you're under the old covenant and are cursed under that old covenant. But if you are a son by promise, then there's a great reward there. But here he says, uh, we, have a, a, we have something similar here in verse 35 of our text. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son does. So if, if you are a son in the house, you live and abide forever because you are free, you see. But if a slave abides in the house, or he does not abide in the house forever because that's just what he is. He, he's, he's, he doesn't have the ability to regulate or say what happens to him. He's a slave. And, and a slave of sin is just that, a slave. Sin beckons him, and sin commands him, sin rules him, and he obeys it. But a son now stays forever. And they were saying... We are Abraham's descendants. We are sons of Abraham. When in, when re, in reality, they were slaves to sin. And so he says in verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So the only way that you're going to escape the slavery of sin is to be a son, is to be adopted in, and there you have Romans 6 all over, to be adopted into the, the family. You must be adopted in, and if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Well, that is the, uh, the scriptural truth here, that they were claiming to be descendants of a very famous and well-known Abraham who is revered in their Jewish religion. But they had not encountered the Son of God. And this is the truth of this passage, is that unless we meet Jesus, unless we abide in Him, He says to those who believe in Him, if you abide in My Word, you will be free indeed you will be free indeed let's uh let's just when we consider whether or not we're in the faith when we evaluate ourselves let's ask us these questions have i met the son have i have i done away with my own lineage have i rejected my own past my own my own uh not liabilities because you have to first embrace your liabilities, but have you discarded your assets? 
for Christ. Have you? Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, today as we consider this passage, we thank you so much for the promise that you've given to your children, that if we abide in your truth, if we abide in your word, then we are your disciples indeed. And not only that, we have a promise that we shall know the truth. And out of that great truth will be our freedom, our freedom from that curse that has had dominion over us, that sin that is so enslaving. Father, I pray that we might embrace the truth of this passage as it is found in Christ, that we would not claim any other as the Jews did, but that we would simply believe in your truth. Father, go with us. I pray that you would let these truths resonate in our lives and hearts. Through Christ we pray. Amen.